you guys what is going on welcome to the camera ads 10 pounds i'm your host peter sirs comedian podcaster podcaster <laughs> sorry i can't even say it um before you guys uh get into this episode just do me a favor if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave me a review, rate it, subscribe. That would be awesome. It helps me out, and I know you guys want to help me out. Uh, second, this podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Performa. Performa has all of your fitness accessories from meal prep bags to meal prep containers, workout towels, wrist straps, wrist wraps, shaker cups um they could even personalize stuff so like if you have i don't know if you guys have seen um my shaker cups i have my own personalized shaker cups with my get laughs or die trying logo on them i love them so if you guys have like a company or something they'll they'll personalize it for you any of their products so there you go look into that you guys anyway um go to performa.com Enter the promo code 10 pounds. That's the word 10, the word pounds, and you will save 15% off your order. Tell them Peter sent you. And as always, this podcast is also brought to you by my friends at Bucked Up Supplements. Bucked Up, you guys know me. And if you don't know me, if you're new to this, just trust me, okay? I will never promote any kind of product that I don't use myself. Bucked Up Supplements, I use them myself. For my own workouts, for pre-workout, for protein powder, for just the vitamins, the natural testosterone boosters, glutamine, just everything that you need supplement-wise for fitness and health, they have. Go to buckedup.com, enter promo code 10 pounds, that's the number 10 and the word pounds, and you will save 20% off your entire order. What? Um, You guys, let's do this, shall we? I want you guys to hear this song. This is not how you make love. Here we go. This is not what we signed up for. I've been really bad about promoting songs lately. Uh, uh, what, what? This is how, this is how, this is how, this is how, this is Simon Curtis. That's uh, Simon Curtis, and the song is called How to Start a War, and uh, it popped up in my workout playlist um, the other day, and I was like, I like this song, and then I tweeted about it, or uh, I mentioned him in my Instagram story, and he messaged me back, so shout out to Simon, there you go, now you have been broadcasted across millions and millions, potentially billions of people across the world. So, um, you guys, as you guys know... um, a lot of these podcasts are done via Zoom because we're still in a pandemic. Even though we're almost out of it, we're still in a pandemic. And uh, my guest today, I had a great interview with him. Um, he is a, a native of Eagle Rock, Los Angeles area. Um, he is a, a journalist with CNN. So you guys will see him uh, on CNN all the time. And the, re- the way that I found him is uh, somehow, I don't remember exactly, but... Um, it popped up on my Instagram, Lat- Latino Media All Star Runners, and I clicked on it, and I was like, just a, 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 you know, and then I saw that it was founded by him, um, Beto Duran, who you guys know if you guys are in the LA area, you know, is very obviously big in the LA area, and I was like, oh, and also um, Mireya Villarreal, 
if I said her name right. I hope so. Um, and it just seemed it was a cool organization um, started by Latinos in the media, which technically I am. This is media right here. And I'm a comedian. And, you know, you guys have seen me on TV and whatnot. Like, I'm, I'm a part of that, too, you know. And uh, one of the things I, I didn't really get to get into him, get into it with him in the interview was, um, you know, for those of you guys that know me personally or know my story, you know, my mom died, you know, a while ago. And my mom, you know, was a very proud Mexican-American. You know, she was born here. Um, you know, her first language was Spanish, but she grew up in East L.A. And my mom just, I think where I got my pride from was from, like, my Mexican pride and heritage and just stuff, like, was from my mom. Because my mom was just so proud of her Mexican heritage. You know, anytime a Latino, you know actor, singer, politician, like anybody who, especially, especially if they were Mexican, you know, um, if they made it into something and if they were from East LA, even on top of that, like I could tell you right now, my mom would love Felipe Esparza, um, you know, Gabriel Iglesias, like she would be so proud that, you know, these guys came out of LA and were, you know, representing for us. So it was really cool to connect with other fellow Latino people in the industry. So that's kind of where I, I found the Latino media all-star runners on Instagram. And then I found Nick, um, who's my guest. And you guys are going to hear the interview that I did with him. But um, it's just crazy, like, how, the, you know, as, as much as people say that the Internet is bad and social media, you know, is negative and it's blah, blah, blah. You know, here's the thing, man. Can there be negativity on there? Absolutely. But there's a lot of positivity out there. There's a lot of positive people out there, myself included, you're welcome, um, who are, you know, encouraging others to be better, to, you know, to exercise, to, to run, to take better care of themselves, which is why the Latino Media All-Star Runners was, was started, you know, to encourage other, you know, people of our, uh, you know, and uh, not, not just Latinos, but like people who support the cause, you know, that we should be represented more on screen and our stories should be told more and but also we should take care of ourselves so it's just a whole movement and it's still early in the process so it, i'm very excited to see uh where the organization uh you know the movement evolves into but um so anyway we connected via via social media that way and he was kind enough to uh be on the podcast so uh ladies and gentlemen you're going to hear the interview i did with nick valencia and then i'll come back afterwards and uh, it'll be great so thanks guys you guys are awesome cool all right you guys um so from the miracles of the internet we are being zoomed in um are you atlanta right now buddy i am um this gentleman i'm very excited to have him on he is uh an la area native uh born and raised in little rock yes i'm I'm sorry eagle rock Rock. Rock. (laughs) god same thing um (laughs) he is uh he is a graduate of the usc annenberg school of broadcasting which is Awesome. Um, this dude, can I just, I'm going to name some, I know you're a very humble man, but I'm going to just go through some of your accolades. Um, in 2013, he was the National Associated Hispanic Journalist uh, Award. You got the CSEP Puede Award, which yes. is uh, an award for an excellence. Um, and if you guys don't speak Spanish, I hope you know what CSEP Puede means, but um, yes, yes, you can, obviously. Um, and then also the Huffington Post acknowledged you as one of the most influential Latino journalists in America, which is like, um, 
That's amazing. And then this one I'm a little upset about, if I'm being honest, but you were also voted one of the top 50 Latinos to follow on Twitter. And um, I did not make that list, so I'm a little bummed out. It but, needs um, to be on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, without further ado, let me welcome my guest, uh, CNN broadcaster, journalist, uh, Nick Valencia. Hello, sir. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. Grateful that you'd even reach out to me, Peter. Oh, of, of course, man. It's awesome, man. One one Dodger fan to another. I appreciate it. Uh, can, can we just say, uh, okay, first of all, my listeners have heard this story already, but I got to go to the game where they clinched the World Series last year. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> like, 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 I was, like I was there, dude. And as someone that's been a Dodger fan my entire life and also having to wait 32 years before the next, like I was nine when they won the first time, you know, or not the first time, but like the last time yeah, um, in 88. And so like when you're nine, you just don't understand the significance of like, wow, my team won the world series. Like they're going to do it all. And at the time, you know, in the eighties, they were in the playoffs a lot. So you just, but I, I just, you don't understand the magnitude as a kid. And then you grow into being an adult, you realize how hard it is. And then you get your heart broken every year for like, year. Yeah, for like so many years. And then you have to watch, you have to watch the Giants win three World Series. And you're just like, this is like, I hate this. This is the worst. It's uh, worse to watch the Astros win the World Series, given what happened like that. After the fact. Yeah. Yeah. yeah after the fact. Yeah. You know, Hurricane Harvey, I'd covered Hurricane Harvey, right? And I was in Houston. I'm like, oh, man, this is this city needs it. Knowing right. what it's like to be a of Dodgers course. fan just falls short. You know, I mean, we're Lakers fans, too, L.A. boys, all that stuff, man. Kings fans. But, like, Dodgers, dude, it's yeah. it's totally diferente para un mexicano, man. It's something totally different for a Mexican kid from L.A. Yeah. To, to root for the Dodgers, right? Because yeah. people in Valenzuela, Urias right now. Oh, yeah. So, getting back to the Astros to see them win it. I was like, all right, if there's any team that we're going to lose to the Astros, it's okay. And then they're cheaters, man. Cheaters, they're man. Cheaters. It, it bro- I mean, it, it was so frustrating. Um, and even still, just the fact that like, I mean, whatever, like no punishment that they could have given them other than like just banning them. Like it would have, wouldn't have been appropriate. Right. Like, what can you do? But you're not going to give the Dodgers like the consolation medal, you know, like, the trophy because they're not going to want it it's kind of like a, i don't know if you remember uh, uh remember ben johnson in the 88 olympics yes he beat carl lewis yes. who was like our guy and then it came out that he was on steroids so carl lewis then got the gold medal but he's like i don't want it like you know it's if anything play it over again maybe i don't know but <laughs> uh but anyway i got to be there so that was like 32 okay. years of anticipation and then obviously with the pandemic how rough the last year was so for me that was like just there's there's videos of me crying on the internet being at the game watching them win the world series uh it's like how spiritual of a place chavez ravine is right i mean speak on it man because it's my favorite place okay it is it is one of my favorite places and honestly like my grandfather was one of the families that was displaced in the oh no in boyle heights or not uh, um well, right there, Frogtown. Chavez Ravine, yeah, yeah. Chavez Ravine in, Foil, in, in Frogtown, right? And, like, he was one of the – so my family has a connection to that. You know, he ended up settling in Highland Park and et cetera. But, like, 
it is a place that is so mystical and magical and it has history and tradition and yeah. the way that they even remodeled Chavez Ravine, right? When they did it a couple of years ago, yeah, yeah. they managed to do it while still keeping the essence of what the stadium is. Right. And I've been outside Wrigley Field. I've been outside <laughs> Fenway. I've never been actually in either of those ballparks, but like, you know, you feel the history there, but there's nothing quite like being a Latino walking yeah. through the gates, you know, at this stadium and just feeling the magic there, man. I mean, it yeah. is a special place. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, by the time this airs, I will have gone to my first game this year. And I'm just like, I know I'm going to cry because I haven't been in so long. <laughs> I, I, I cry anyway. My girlfriend makes fun of me because like, uh, uh, there's just, I mean, okay. So I, I know you don't know a ton about me, but like my mom took me in my first game when I was six weeks old. Wow. My mom and my grandma, you know, very proud Mexican American women, um, but they were all about like, you know, like uh, the teams of the seventies, like the Dodgers were, were great in the seventies. They just never got that world series. And so they, my mom and my grandma were the ones that took me like my dad, my dad took me sometimes, but it was more my mom and my grandma. Um, And then, so for me, like when both of them passed away, um, it was just like, it was one of the few places where I could feel a connection to like my mom and my grandma and just like, like you said, that culture, you know, but I'm excited. I'm, but I know I'm going to cry when I go to the game. Uh, Hi, bro, you deserve <laughs> it. You earned it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, okay. So let me ask you a question, man. Uh, yeah. as a, as a, as a Latino growing up, you know, Los Angeles area, just thinking about like any other young aspiring like broadcasters. Cause that's like, a obviously not unlike comedy, but you know, a very hard industry to get into. Yeah. You got to pay your dues, all that. So like, if you could speak on like your journey from being, you know, growing up, you know, in Los Angeles, going to broadcasting school and how, how you got, you know, to where you are right now. And then just even to compare it also, Pete, to comedy, there's a performance aspect to it too, you know, especially being on TV. It's not just journalism. It's not just storytelling. It's performance. Right. The the crux of what journalism is, is being able to amplify voices that don't have one, right? To be a megaphone for people that often are underlooked, underserved, overlooked, rather. Um, and being from Eagle Rock, you know, like, I feel like I had that sort of in my DNA to be able to, like, speak up and stand up and speak up for people. Um, <laughs> I grew up, you know, I grew up... Uh, uh, in a middle-class home surrounded by cholos though you know i had kind of like a two block two block radius around me but once that's right you feel it man once i yeah. got to the corner right there on townsend and yosemite it was on bro like you know <laughs> and people don't understand that man like i remember walking one day with ernie fields we were walking his dog and this is before puberty right i had my little puka shell necklace and my billabong shirt you <laughs> bite so bad you know and like <laughs> Ernie was a rebel. He had his wife beater on and, you know, or tank top. I don't know what's the appropriate thing to say now, but that's what we called him back right. growing up. He had his like cup pants and he said, what's up? He had just moved into the neighborhood and he threw up a peace sign to these cholos that had just come from Avenue 51, the hill. And they turned around and they hit us up and they asked uh-huh. us where we're And I'm like walking my dog, my little Maltese dog, you know, and I'm like, dude, you know, I, I ended up speaking up for him. He had this little, you know, shitty little mustache you know that like he was growing out as like a 13 year old I was 11 and that's sort of the start of like the years of running for my life man you know like I talk about I mean I run a lot now 
and I, I talk about running for my demons, man. Like my demons, I had to face every single day, bro. I had to pass Zach Duardo in the hall all the time. Right. I had to pass Avenues or Drew Street all the time. And after I hit puberty and started working out a lot and started playing football and ice hockey and doing Taekwondo, I, um, things changed for me, man. And like, I started to sort of, you know, grow up and like we all do. So I was getting a work email and I have to check it really quick. Um, <laughs> I grew up and, and, um, you know, knew I wanted to go into sports or thought I wanted to go into sports. I wanted to be an ESPN anchor and I graduated high school determined, bro. Like if you look back at my yearbook, it's like, see you on ESPN one day. I like used to go to the Dodger games and keep the scores. Like that was a six, four, three double play. I mean, everyone knows a six, four, three double play, but like right. I would keep scores and stuff, you know, and watch every pitch and keep track of the count and try to figure out how Vin Scully could see the curveballs And like, how do you know the rotate all that stuff? I was dead set on being a play-by-play announcer. I don't know somewhere or being an ESPN anchor. And then I went to USC. My dad died at the end of high school. And that, you know, changed my life. I was 17 and changed my life forever. I mean, I'm still, there's no timeline for grief, man. You know, you still, you, you, you heal through that. And um, just to fast forward, when I was 20 years old, I moved to Spain on a study abroad. I went to Bilbao, Spain and studied abroad there for six months. And I think just like every kid who studies abroad, like, you think that you know everything, you're so worldly, you're the American, you know, like our country's the greatest. And then you realize, damn, I've got a lot of holes in my arguments and I don't know anything. And I think at that point, I realized that I wanted to pivot towards news. And it's sort of been on ever since, man. I went back to USC, graduated in 2005. And, uh, you know, about a year later, landed at CNN. That's a year later. Yeah, eight months, eight months. Wow. Now that's not... That's not normal, though. No, I and it's not <laughs> about my job either. I started as a teleprompter and it was a drunk radio correspondent. She was drunk on the plane with my cousin. And, you know, like families are close, bro. Your grandma and your mom are taking you to the baseball game. My yeah. cousin was on a flight with a radio correspondent who had too long of a layover at LAX, tripped and fell on the plane. Her badge spilled out of her purse. He went into full-blown sales mode for me, pitched me because she ended up sitting next to him. So he goes from being like, oh, man, I hope she doesn't sit next to me to like, Oh, Nikki just graduated from Annenberg, man. Like, I'm going to hook this fool up. So he went into full-blown pitch mode for four hours, and then she took my resume, put it on the top of the pile. And, like, so I, I, like, I would love to say, yeah, it was because I kicked ass at USC, and I was at the top of my class and, you know, did all these great stories. All that helped once I got But at the end of the day, it was, like, serendipity. Maybe it was meant to be. I don't know. All I know is I was prepared for when the opportunity came. So if I can give any advice, it's just like, stay ready, man. You know, so you don't have to get ready. That's what uh, I'm a big, uh, I love the rock who doesn't. Um, And I think, yeah, one of his, one of his quotes is like, uh, when opportunity knocks, kick the door down or something like that. Like, don't just open the door, kick it down or something like that. It's like, that's exactly, you have to stay ready. That's why, that's why uh, the name of this uh, podcast is called the camera adds 10 pounds and like the premise is like I always stay camera ready you know <laughs> you do man you're always yeah. getting always stay camera ready because I know that at some point I'm like remember when uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher his name but uh Kumail uh what's his last name oh, the actor oh, yeah yeah uh, when he got he got like he's gonna be in a Marvel movie and he got super jacked oh no 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 oh. I was thinking about on cnn but yeah uh i know what you're talking the indian actor right yes i i always mess up his last name but 
you know, he was like, you know, he's, he's a comic. So comics aren't necessarily known for being in shape. And then he got this mark. He's going to be in the internals, I think. Uh, and then he got super jacked and then people were like giving him shit. And I'm like, he just got in shape because he's going to be a superhero. So for <laughs> me, I'm like, I always, I don't want that scrutiny. So everyone, <laughs> yeah. Like everyone will know that I've always camera ready. So when they get, they're like, oh yeah, he's been training for that for like 15 years. Like he's, he's ready. Like, already. You're already a superhero. So you don't have to get ready. I try to be, yeah, exactly. Um, well, I was working out, bro. You're inspiring me, man. Like, I'll flip through Instagram. I'm like, dude, this guy is up at five in the morning. I went for a run today at five in the morning, and I'm I like, saw, I saw. I feel like Peter, bro, right now. I'm like, <laughs> not in the gym, but I'm like, you know, out there with like the real runners and stuff. You know, yeah. everyone runs is a runner, but you know what I mean. Of course, the thing is for me, like, and you, you had, I mean, I saw you texted me this morning at like four o'clock or something. So like, you obviously have to wake up early. Um, I talked, I've talked about it on here, but like, I actually heard the rock. Um, this is probably like 15 years ago or so whenever he got like his first, whenever Hercules was, um, there's an article, you know, he's always in like men's, uh, muscle and fitness and whatever, right. but he was talking about how when he's on set, he goes to the gym at like four, four thirty in the morning because set runs so long like you never know when you're going to get off so if he just gets it done then he doesn't have to worry about it and then for me I was always rehearsing that very scenario I'm like okay well yeah if I'm going to be on set I got to be ready be used to waking up that early so now I just do it even when I don't have to and then I'm like oh now I have the rest of the day to literally do whatever I want so it's great well I mean like I mean this you know I'm sorry to keep cutting you off man go I know you're good you no, you're good to um to you know just to springboard off of this idea man like when i was trying to get on air like eight years ago because i didn't start on air at cnn i started as a teleprompter operator but like in the spirit of like preparing yourself i knew that correspondents and people on air worked these just extraordinarily difficult hours like they're just awful so what i would do is i had my normal job from 6 p.m to 2 a.m i was the west coast editor at Atlanta in Atlanta but I was like editing for the you know the West Coast news and stuff and I would get off at 2 a.m and I would wake up at 6 30 the next morning to go to my international desk job yeah. that I would freelance at and I would work there from 7 30 to 3 30 go home take a quick nap and do it all again and I would do that four days a week for a year and I thought if I can't handle doing something like this working these crazy 18 20 hour days which I have to do now on a regular basis right. but back then I didn't I was just preparing myself right yep. and I'm, if I can't do this in these like you know simple sort of like contained situations where I get to sleep in my own bed at night I'm never going to be ready for like a war zone or to go cover the cartels God. or to go, go you know go into a natural disaster all of which I've had to do since right. so like to your point man it's like now I now I wake up early <laughs> on that guy just like i mean it's like it's like you know for the sports analogy it's like these guys practice every day you know even during the season like they take batting practice or you know they're taking shots like you have to like michael jordan for example who obviously i'm I'm sure you're a fan of you know we're both kobe fans which means we're also probably michael jordan fans but like he would take all these shots and just create all these scenarios in his head in practice so that when the game came, he's like, oh, yeah, I've done this like a thousand times, like or more than that, probably, you know, uh, be Bryant this morning, the Mamba mentality, like waking up at three in the morning, like that dude would wake up at three thirty. Right. And then he would yeah. have breakfast with his daughters and then he would take maybe a, like a, a cat nap in the afternoon and then just get back at it. You know, like 
you're doing two a days on your Instagram, bro. I'm like, this fool is crazy. <laughs> I am this crazy. Crazy. Yeah. But it takes, I mean, I say that in the most loving way, but it takes a little bit of insanity. Uh, or my battery's done. It takes a little bit of insanity to do what we want to do. You know, yeah, you have really to have unforgiving, unrelentless, winner take all attitude to be able to get it done. And you have to, you have to be the person that believes in yourself the most or else no one is going to jump on the train, bro. I mean, like no one is going to throw their weight behind you and say, yeah, dude, this guy can do it. This guy can have his own show one day. This guy's going to be in a movie one day. This guy's going to do whatever he wants. If you don't believe in yourself or, or, or carry that posture or that energy, you know, you're not going to get it in return. That's a, that's another Kobe quote. Uh, if you don't believe in yourself, no one else will. I, I can quote Kobe all day. Uh, speaking of which, have, have you uh, have you ever read the book Relentless? No. Oh, uh, dude, trust me. Actually, I'll send you one. But okay. it's a yeah, it's a Tim Grover, who's the guy that trained Michael Jordan and Kobe. Um, and he he just talks about it's not even like I bought it because I thought it was a workout book and I wanted to work out like them. And it's actually like about their mindset and like the kind of thought process that went through like with both of those guys and he trained like D Wade and Charles Barkley, like a lot of basketball players, but it's just, it's really insane. Like we talked about, like Kobe would wake up, you know, he would, he would drop 40 and then miss one shot and then be pissed off about it. And then just go back to the gym while everyone's in their hotel sleeping or like the whole, the helicopter thing, which is epic. Like, you know why he bought a helicopter, right? To get to the games faster. And so he could spend that hour or whatever it was, also watching video on the way to the arena or to, to the practice that's facility. Right, that's right. That's right. And miss the traffic and not be in traffic. And, like this is pre Uber, pre Lyft, pre, you right. know, yeah. Wow, man. And mama mentality, man. Uh, mentality. But I'll, I'll forget. So I have to ask you this because uh, we, you, you kind of brought it up. Uh, you were the, you're talking about covering the cartels. Yeah. And obviously cartel life has been glamorized <laughs> like on Netflix and whatever. Like, I, mean, I, I watch Narcos. I love it. But uh, I, I have, I have a joke about this because my girlfriend sends me a random text one day. My girlfriend is very white, by the way. And uh, okay. <laughs> me too. Um, and uh, she sends me a text saying, I, I, I just finished watching Narcos. I think I want to be a drug mule. And I'm just like, okay, you're stupid, dude. <laughs> like you're dope. But uh, so fun fact, I know from doing my research that you were the first American uh, yeah. inside El Chapo's tunnel. Yeah. So that's got to be exciting as just obviously as a journalist, but also kind of scary. Yeah, it was scary. I ran out of breath under there. So if you go back and look at the video, because it's oh, like wow. tight space and like, there was a ventilation system that had been taken down and a lot. I mean, they, it was a magnificent feat of engineering. This guy spent 50 or $60 million to construct this, sent his cartel men to Germany to learn from the engineers over there because they're known for their engineering, brought them back. And from what eyewitnesses told me, it was these two dudes, like a middle-aged dude and a younger dude that they saw in a pickup truck come for over the course of about a year to build that tunnel. It was probably a little more than that, but like, to see that once they were done, they were they were out. So like they didn't have time to clean up. There was dirty dishes in this like you know little crappy kitchen, and there was coke cans that were just tossed on the ground down there, like forty yards underground, you know. And that that was it was surreal, man. It was surreal to be there. And I had followed El Chapo's career, man. I was 
probably the first person on CNN to start talking about El Chapo back in 2009. Wow. And before, you know, the, the, the romanticization of the, you know, the cartel industry and, and Narcos and Netflix the stuff I couldn't even watch, man, because I was living it real life, man, you know, yeah. I got in a death threat in 2000, I think in 2011, I believe. You got um, I got a death See, threat, yeah. The journalist. I, that was, yeah. I was actually thinking about this before asking you this question, and that was going to be a, like a follow-up question. Like, was there ever a moment? So, yeah, that's crazy. There's definitely a moment where I thought, you know, I was in too deep. And I, and I was like, you know, look, this is how serious they are about the bottom line. I was not anywhere as close to the conflict as my Mexican counterparts. Like I got to come home. I would right. go into Juarez, I would go into Tijuana, go into Mexico city, and I would be able to come home and sleep here comfortably. Um, there were at the time I was covering it upwards of 70 Mexican journalists who were killed as a result of doing the same job I was doing just on the other side of the border. So to know that they would be so willing to do that just speaks to just how ruthless how powerful, how untouchable they felt. And, yeah. you know, it was like Morgan Freeman has this show coming out on History Channel this summer. And I got interviewed for this being, you know, it's, a, it's about El Chapo and the Great Prison Escape. So I was interviewed earlier this, I guess it was in January I was interviewed. And that's going to come out later, which will be pretty cool, man. It's kind of like a more inside look at like, you know, what shameless plug here, not so humble plug yeah. here. But uh, it's kind of like an inside look at like what it was like to, to be the cartel reporter at CNN, man. And I wow. romantic too, Peter. Like, look, <laughs> I was in like my early mid twenties. I would use it as pickup lines, you know, at the bar. I would, you know, <laughs> I had my beer. I had like the whole image thing, you know. And it was not, you know, it, it ended up when it, when you're living it and it's your real life. It's not right. romantic to be looking under your car for bombs, to be walked by security from, you know, it's. I don't know, man. I mean, it was it was a really scary situation for a little while. It actually made me get away from covering cartels and starting to cover more stories within our borders here in the United yeah. States. And, uh, you know, but it's a time that I will always be a part of my life. There's people that still like see documentaries like Hulu has something now and they're like, oh, there's Nick from when he started reporting, you know, oh, wow. and like. It's pretty cool, though. You know, it was it was cool. It, it served its purpose. But now, you know, I'm on to something else. Who? Uh, oh, it was it was uh, like the whole thing that really got him was like Sean Penn and this and like, right. What's the I forget the other girl's name, the girl from Queen of the South. Yeah. Telenovela actress. I forget her name, too. Somebody yeah. asked me and I need to know this. Uh, I, I, can't, <laughs> I forgot her name. Her 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 image is in my mind. But um, yeah, yeah that. It was that. I mean, he got caught because um, he thought she was hot and he thought like by like bringing her into the production that he might have had a shot. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that like he we read some of those exchanges and the text messages. Some of them came oh. out like he was quite a poet. He fancied himself, man. Like he was a lover. You know, he wanted to uh, he was spitting some game there. Kate, Kate del Castillo. Del Castillo. Kate del Castillo. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but like, but I have just... a resentment against Sean Penn because that asshole took the first interview. Yeah. Like he was able to able to interview uh, El Chapo, and I put in all this work, man. Like, <laughs> so I'm sorry, Sean Penn, for calling you names, bro. But I've got yeah. a resentment towards you because you got you scooped me. I remember yeah. being 
Mexico City and like looking at my phone and reading the Rolling Stone article and being like, this guy scooped me. Like, I know Sean Penn, is he a new writer at Rolling Stone? It's like, it's not <laughs> that Sean Penn, right? Sean Penn. Man. But he was trying to, like, they were both going to be in the project, right? Like, Sean Penn yeah. was going to play El Chapo, which um, I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle, but like, you know, obviously as a Latino, it's one of those things where we get tired of, uh, Typecast. you know, yeah, like people that aren't even Latino getting cast as, oh, us. yeah, you know, that's like a big thing. So it's like, of course, Sean Penn gets like, you know, whatever. Um, what <laughs> I, I have to ask you this, too, because uh, this this is this is a personal thing. So um, in comedy, we have to I mean, I have a manager and an agent that like, and a booking person, but like, I also probably do like 80% of the work myself. Like the agents only do this much, you know, it's the old adage, like they make 10 or 20% of your commission and they do 10 to 20% of the work. So um, (laughs) it's true. Like if I just, if I only did the jobs that they booked me on, like I'd work, you know, four or five weekends a year, you know, every, anyway, point being is that I remember, uh, there was this club in Houston that I was trying to get into. They've since closed probably because they didn't book me. Um, <laughs> probably. Uh, and, uh, but it was, it's so it was just like, the thing about comedy is like, it's, there's a lot of, there's not, I don't want to say gatekeepers, but like if you're a club owner slash booker or whatever, you know that you have that power over like us. Like we want to work your club. So they kind of know anyway. So I had emailed the guy and he's like, yeah, send me your stuff send him my stuff. He's like, yeah, we'll get you booked. Um, send me your bails, send him my bails. And then he asked me like another thing. He's like, can you give, can anyone refer you that, that works the club? So I gave him that. And it was just kind of song and dance back and forth. Right. Then I see uh, that Stormy Daniels is doing comedy at this club. Okay. Um, and so, you know where this is going. So, oh yeah. man. Yes. <laughs> And so I'm like, in my mind, as you know, I work hard, dude. And I'm like, did she have to go through all that song and dance? Or were you just like, oh, cool, she's going to sell tickets, which is part of comedy, like you have to sell tickets. But so you got to interview Stormy Daniels. I did. Uh, so she gave me a hat, man. Actually, this is totally <laughs> my idea that you're going to ask me this question. But I happen to have the hat that she gave me here, the solid oh, gold. Okay, <laughs> great. <laughs> Yeah, you know, on the side they have like oh, a little hat right there. <laughs> hilarious. In the uh, uh, like, dead here. Yeah. So I mean, it was just I just when I saw that I was like, oh man, I wish I would have got this before I didn't get this job. But anyway, ironically, like maybe a week or two after she headlined that club, they closed down. So that was probably like his hail mary to save the club and. Right. It, it didn't work, obviously. Um, you don't have to talk about her. I just thought that was funny when I saw that. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's an I mean, if there's any advice I can impart, it's like just be nice to people. I didn't call her Stormy. I didn't refer oh. to her adult film name. You know, I, I said Miss Daniels and and, you know, I'm Nick Valencia with CNN. And she was already denying interviews. I mean, the, it's so funny, man. The, the, the most awkward, probably, interview I've ever done, being, like, dressed in a full suit in a strip club, not there to see the performance, which was very revealing, by the way, you know? And, and, um, you know, seeing all these, like, journalists that were, like, there with per diem to, like, 
spend money in hopes that they would get the interview and photographers sneaking photos, all this stuff, which we weren't supposed to do. And I ended up going with an audio interview. She had signed a contract, I think, with uh, or she had you know, told CBS 60 Minutes that she wasn't going to do anything on camera, but that didn't keep her from doing an audio interview. So oh, I took okay. out and I just got some audio of her. She didn't see anything groundbreaking, but I think that the fact that she spoke and we heard from her for the first time while this Donald Trump saga was going on, you know, it was newsworthy. And, you know, I got that interview. I would text with her for a little while, which was which was pretty cool. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, my wife knew about it. It was nothing weird, <laughs> you know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was a very, very interesting moment, man. <laughs> um, OK, so the I'll, I'll say this. Um, this is what I want to ask you about. Um, so I actually came across your profile um, via the uh, Latino media all-star runners. Like that was, yeah. I kind of did one thing and to another. So you were one of the uh, the co-founders of this movement. Um, you and Beto Duran, right? That's right. And Mireya yeah. out of uh, Dallas for CBS. Okay. So uh, kind of speak to me on where the concept came from, what it's about, you know, how other people can get involved, like all that good stuff. Cause I so, love it. Everybody. I know it's called the Latino media all-star runners. It's not just for people in the media. It's not just for Latinos. All are welcome and we need allies. I'll just start by saying there it started because I was having a really bad day with anxiety and depression. I, I have diagnosed uh, clinical anxiety and depression. And, um, you know, I don't, think that's something that I was very proud of before and certainly not something I'm ashamed of to say now though you know I think the common theme that I saw during the pandemic that really connected us all was just how much everyone was struggling with anxiety and depression and I needed community I mean we were so choked off Peter from the world you know you were talking about how much how hard it's been for you everyone had a little slice of it and you know, for me, I've always been a transparent person, you know, that's how God made me, man. Like I am a very open book. And um, I was talking to Betha one day, who's always got kind of like levity to bring to the situation. And he's like, why don't you go running full start a run club, you know, so like he tagged me in a post and I tagged him and then he made an account and it was right. just a first and then I, I put it out there one day. Next thing we know, we've got a couple dozen followers. And then after that, it's a couple hundred. And then right now it's pushing 600 a year later, which I mean, 600 may not seem like a lot to some people who have thousands, but like these are genuine people. These are runners. These are people who've never exercised like this in their life before. And more importantly, it's people who needed community to deal with their own anxiety and depression. And also it was a sort of um, roundabout way for me to help address and help our community address some of the things that we really go through and we're disproportionately affected by, whether it's heart disease, uh, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, obesity, uh, substance abuse. You know, this is a way and an outlet. It's something that's helped me calm my nerves, calm down during the pandemic in this really extraordinarily difficult time. And it's turned into way more than I ever even expected to the point where we're doing a podcast based right. off follow and now we're getting even more people man and it's just it's this movement it's this way we got little stickers we're gonna have shirts next and yes. who knows oh I, I envision this day Peter where we're all together or some of us are together and we all go on a run and like 
that to me, like you're talking about crying, being in a Dodger stadium, man. I like get emotional thinking like that, that could one day happen when Nick, things. Down. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to put you on the spot right now, but I don't know if you know this, but the LA marathon has been postponed until November. Um, <laughs> from, dude, this is a look. Don't ever turn down a good opportunity, man. Like maybe this is maybe this is the opportunity. I've never run more than a 10k, though. I'll tell totally you, fine. Uh, so okay, uh, I mean, but you run a lot. So as as someone who is in the fitness industry for a very long time, and I'm an expert in this kind of thing. Um, <laughs> no, I am. Um, you should. I, I always tell people if you're going to train for a marathon make sure you're already running. Don't just do it like, oh, I'm going to do it. Like, unless you just want to walk it, which is fine. But like, if you're going to run a marathon, make sure you already run regularly. And then from there, there's about an 18 week training phase that you can go through. So uh, I, cause I was, cause I was training for it. It was supposed to be, it's always in March, obviously. Um, And then they postponed it because of COVID. Obviously they postponed it to May and it was supposed to be on my birthday, May 23rd. Um, and then they postponed it again once the vaccine started rolling out. So now it's going to be in November. And I was like, oh, well, perfect, because I'll be back home by then. Um, so anyway, my training, my, I, be, I mean, I always run, you know, I'm always tagging you and yeah. whatever, like I was training for it. And then when they postponed it, I kind of like, I'm still running, but I'm not training for, I'm just running because I like running. Um, but the 18 week mark will start, um, I believe it's like the last weekend, like right after Memorial Day, that's the week. If you count down 18 weeks to the marathon, that's when it starts. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm lying. I'm sorry. Let me rewind, Nick. Because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm setting the, uh, the 18, the 18 week mark is actually for the Oklahoma City Marathon, oh, which, is okay, in, okay. which is in October, but the LA Marathon is in November. So you actually have probably, I mean, I would say 18 weeks would probably be like the beginning of July if you really wanted to do it. I'm just putting it out there. I'll, I'll put do it, it man. Spot. I'll do it. You put me on the spot. I'll do it. Between you me, have me on the record, I'll do it. Like me, and then if I mean with you, and then if, if Beto does it, uh, I know we can get my buddy. You know Eric Rivera, right? Yeah, of course, yeah, my buddy. And I always give him a hard time, but now if I have more people involved, then he'll have to do it. Sorry, Eric. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's and, do it, man. You, you know, have me here committing on your podcast. Let's do it. Look at that, man. We got it. Breaking news. <laughs> I CNN. <laughs> Take that. I will do it. What you call it? But I don't know if you know this. Um, the LA Marathon course starts at Dodger Stadium. Yes, yes, it, yes. It starts. It goes down through downtown, um, and then they spit you out on Sunset somewhere, and then you go down Sunset Sunset Strip, and then you take a tur- you go like Hollywood Boulevard. You know, you pass all the monuments, and then you end up at the beach. You finish at the beach, which is like, come on. What a way, what a way to do it, man. What a way to do my first marathon back home in my hometown with some of the all-stars, dude. Let's do it. Let's do it. It's November 7th, November 7th. So we'll we'll all be vaccinated. We'll be safe. This will all be over. The Dodgers will have then celebrated their second World Series. (laughs) Yeah, we'll have a, we'll have a parade because we didn't get a parade this past year, which Right? It sucks. I, 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 I mean, yeah, I wanted the parade. And then when I saw uh, the Buccaneers do the little boat parade, I'm like, wait, we couldn't do a boat parade? Like, we didn't know that was an option. We live in, like, it's L.A., <laughs> right? <sighs> so, 
so, I'm good, dude. I want a real parade. I don't want a boat parade. I want a right. real parade. Um, yeah. So we'll have a parade. I mean, maybe even probably a Lakers parade also. Oh, dude, that'd be like, dope too. So we'll have three parades and a marathon and it'll be great. And life will be back to almost like, I mean, it'll be like normal, whatever the new normal is, but that'll be the time. I'm so. actually going home for the first time next Friday. I haven't been home since I mean, November 2019. You're going oh, home next Friday? I mean, I'm going... Literally, I'm flying. I mean, by the time this podcast goes out, I will be there. But um, yeah, I'm going. I'm flying back tonight, actually. Oh, awesome, man! How long have you been yeah. gone? So I haven't been. You know, so just my listeners have heard this, but like, I came out to Oklahoma. My, my girlfriend's from Oklahoma, which is why um, when we came out here, I was just like, let's just get out of LA for a little bit. And my plan was just to be out here for a few weeks, and so it was over. <laughs> And a, a few weeks turned into the summer. And then at the end of the summer, there was no end in sight. And I need to obviously work. So I was just like, well, I can work from there. Um, so we signed like a short-term six-month lease. And then that was up in March, still not over. So my plan is uh, to go back at the end of, uh, at the end of, but anyway, the point being, I went back and forth all summer. Um, yeah. And then in October, I went out and got all my stuff and just brought it out here. So, and I was supposed to go home in, uh, in December. For Christmas and stuff, but then my my brother's baby's mama got COVID, so it was just like, ah. Eh. And then I've been busy with like I, I have I have uh, a couple other podcasts that I do, and then with comedy, and so I just haven't had time to go home. But I'm going home, so I'm excited and nervous because I haven't seen it since the last time I was there. Um, I know it's going to be different. I found out I found out my favorite Mexican restaurant has closed permanently, and it broke my oh, heart. Oh, what was it? Uh, Velvet Margarita. You ever go? No, I've never been there. It was R.I.P so good and i'm you know i'm mexican we're particular on mexican food of course what, what, what was what's, what's your favorite mexican uh restaurant in la it also closed Arcoides uh, in highland park it had closed man before the pandemic so now like my family we just eat at home man like Mex- if we want mexican food we'll eat at home like right. and i don't know where to go bro like there's i just don't know where to go all the stuff that i used to eat too when i was like a drunkard teen in high school is like tastes like crap now you know so yeah. but i love taco trucks i've got like la estrella in helen park or rambos i love rambos man there's a uh la estrella also has like a little brick and mortar in highland park which i like to get the shrimp tacos from mariscos jaliscos i love and then el russo which is like a new uh new spot i think it's in boyle heights um that one that spot's pretty dope too so i'm a big fan of like the roach coaches i, I like the uh i like the taco truck and i don't know if it's there because obviously i haven't been um I want to say it's, I, I'm going to forget the name, but it's on the corner of Olympic and La Brea. Uh, and I think the one on Olympic, oh, on the corner, I don't know, but there's a, like uh, Marisco Salisu is on Olympic. They, they might be the one that's like one block down. Uh, there's like, there's like a Pico, right? Pico South of Olympic, right? Yeah. I'm bad with like, Yeah. There's like, there's like two, there's like two right across the street and that might be that one, but. The one on P, it's literally uh, Olympic and, and La Brea, but it's like right off, right across the street from Trejos Tacos. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so there's like this, but it's funny because uh, this lady, I think it's her, I think it's her taco truck, but it's this older lady. And like, you know, they don't get there till like nine o'clock at night or eight o'clock at night. Oh, wow. But she's got these big old sunglasses on and she's just in the truck <laughs> making tacos. Dude, they're so good. That's my favorite truck. I'm really excited about going back. But uh, that's dope, man. That's dope. Uh, well, dude, um, I, I don't want to take up anymore. I know you got to get out of here. Uh, 
uh, let's go. We, 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 we called it here. We scooped. I scooped Anderson Cooper. Uh, Nick is going to run the LA marathon with me and we're going to get Beto and Eric and any other Latinos or just non-Latinos that want to run with us. Right. We, man, man, let's roll. Um, and then, so Latino media, all-stars, all-star runners on Instagram. Um, do you have anything exciting coming out? Like that, that we could look forward to on CNN or anything? So um, I'm covering a lot, unfortunately, of what's going on uh, right now in America, you know, black men and, and black women yeah. I mean, just be black in America right now is, is uh, I mean, it's always been hard, right? I think the darker your skin is in this world, the tougher that you have it just period, man. That's been yeah. my experience. And so I've been covering a lot of the police shootings. Um, next week, I'll be going down to the border, Rio Grande Valley. I've got a story coming out uh, about the Biden administration sort of a lot of people don't know, man, it's unfortunate, but 90, I would say a majority of his border policy is mimicking what Trump did. And so we're going down there to go highlight because the story isn't about favoring one administration or the other. The story is about the people and the people who suffer. Getting back to uh, what I was talking about, you know, why I got into journalism is to be a megaphone of those who can't speak up for themselves. So we're going to get back to border coverage and, you know, just be the breaking news reporter that I've always been, man, you know, cover the hot stories. Oh, so where, you're going, where, where is that? Is that in Texas somewhere? Yeah. Allen, the Rio Grande Valley, McAllen, oh. Texas, South Texas. Okay. I'll be there for a few days and then I'm coming back home, man. I'll be back home, uh, you know, for my buddy, Eric Sandoval's wedding. Shout out to Sandoval. And it'll, uh, you know, hopefully be great just to be able, I mean, it, I, who knows how it'll be right like yeah for I'm, I'm, yeah you're right there with me man i'm, right. I'm like I, i'm excited to go home but i'm also like nervous because like i said the last time i was there there were some things i saw that made me sad because it's my it's my home you know like no matter where i am right now i'm in oklahoma city but like and same with you like you're in atlanta like yeah. no matter where we are like home is is always going to be home and so <laughs> just to see like businesses close and you know, homeless, it's just, it's sad, but like, it's also home, you know? So, you know, um, well, Nick, dude, I appreciate your time so much, man. Thank you so much. Uh, follow him on Instagram. He's uh, top 50 influential Latinos on Twitter, apparently. So that's cool. <laughs> uh, Peter, thank you for much. Yeah, uh, very I appreciate uh, Hang on for one second while I pause. Okay. Uh, okay. So there you have it on national broadcast news i mean whatever you call this i don't know this is going out to the world we have nick valencia from cnn um committing that he's going to do the la marathon with me so i'm sorry eric but you have to do it and beto duran i you know we've never met but i know who you are and everybody knows who you are so whoever wants to do it man it's like i said the if you're not running already you have time to just like start running right now right now it's uh, april obviously the last week of april so you can kind of just start logging some miles and get your body used to running. And then come July, I don't know what the exact countdown would be for 18 weeks. Um, I could do it right now if you want me to. I have done the math, you guys. Um, so you would have to start basically, this is perfect. You, if, you, if you are ready to start this journey with us, um, the 18 week mark will be July 4th, which is a Sunday because it goes obviously 18 weeks. So, you know, right now we're the first, the last week of April, you got all of May, all of June to so just start running, you know, a mile or two or three. And then, you know, the training starts when you start training for the marathon, your, your longest run is going to be like four, you know, or five miles max. And then you just build up that, uh, 
that endurance. And, and, and like I said, you know, you, there are people that walk the marathon, you know, maybe we can raise money for, you know, something, a good cause. You guys can send me some suggestions on causes um, that we could donate to maybe like, you know, immigrant families that are displaced or I don't know, poor Latino kids in the community. Um, I mean, there's a million things. Um, but um, I, I mean, like he was saying, that would be cool to have a big group of people kind of in it together. Um, no offense, you guys, but I will just run and then get to the finish line and meet you guys there because um, I'm battling my demons as well. <laughs> uh, but it would be really awesome to have that. Um, so yeah, start training July 4th. Um, I'll actually, as an added thing to this podcast, I'll start kind of sharing like workout training tips. I mean, there's a million, you can go download, you know, just Google marathon training. There's a million programs out there, but most of them, if not all of them, they start you at 18 weeks, assuming, like I said, that you're already running at that point. So just get out there, man. And like I said, you can walk it, you know, at 26.2 miles is a long time. I don't know if you guys know this. Most people do, but if you don't, uh, the guy who ran the first marathon um, was, it was in Greece, obviously Greek, uh, marathon is a Greek word. Uh, he, he was a Greek person and I don't know what year this was, if I'm being honest, but, um, it says, uh, uh, he was alive, uh, 500 years, 530 BCE. So he's, he was, this is before Jesus, I guess. Um, and he ran, um, his name was, I'm going to, I'm going to mess up his name. Philippides, 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 Philippides. Um, he ran from Marathon, the city of Marathon in Greece, to Athens to deliver the news to, I guess, the, the leadership there um, that they had won the Battle of Marathon. So he ran 26.2 miles. That was the distance. And then he died. <laughs> so there's a good chance that he probably didn't um, build his mileage up at that point. But like I said, when you're doing a marathon, um, training thing, um, program, I don't know I said thing it, uh, you know, it, it builds you up. So like I said, you might have like, it might give you like three or four days a week where you're running, you know, maybe one day is like a short mile run. And then another day you might have like a middle run and then you'll have a longer run. And obviously your short runs get shorter in, or they get, all of your runs get longer. So like you, you start, maybe your long run is three or four miles. And then by the time you're done training, you know, obviously the long run will be the actual marathon, but your short runs might start off at like, you know, a mile or something, maybe intervals or something, depending on what training program you're doing. Um, and then your short runs get longer too. So like by the time you're done with the training, your short run might be like a, like a five or six mile or, or seven miles. And some of you guys are sitting there being like a short run is five or six miles. Yes. Okay. Yes, it is. Um, but that's a great timeline. You guys, I think if I'm being honest, I think I just spoke it into existence. Um, we're going to have an awesome last, you know, third and fourth quarter of this year, because the Dodgers are obviously playing amazing baseball, best record in baseball. You guys could listen to that on my Dodger podcast, my boot thoughts. Um, I'm going to start touring again. You know, we got some dates lined up. I'm going to be, uh, when you guys hear this, I'll be in Dallas this Thursday at uh, high, not this Thursday. I'm sorry. Uh, next Thursday, May 6th, I'll be at Hyenas in Dallas, May 6th. I think the show's at 730, but it might be eight. 
don't quote me. Um, and then the next day I'll be at Backdoor Comedy in Dallas as well. Um, if you have to choose one, I say come see me in Hyenas because I'm doing a lot more time there. Um, and uh, then we have, uh, we'll be in Pittsburgh. My brother and I are going to be in Pittsburgh. What? Uh, Friday, June 11th. We're going to go, uh, we're going to watch my Dodgers in Pittsburgh. And then we're going to go uh, do a show there or two. Um, we're performing at, I want to say the Parkway Theater is the name of it. Um, it's a nice small little venue. I think maybe 70 people at seats, but we're going to go to Pittsburgh. I've always wanted to see that ballpark. So that's exciting. Um, and then I just have some other uh, cool stuff. I'm going to be down in San Diego, um, June 18th and 19th performing. And uh Yes, the Dodgers are also in town that following Monday. So, yep, you're welcome. I'm already putting this stuff together, you guys. So that's it in the near future. Um, but then I'm shooting my special at the end of August. And then the Dodgers will be heavy in the pennant race. And you guys know when it comes October time, I am in full baseball playoff mode. And then the Dodgers are going to win the World Series. And then I'll be back home. And then we're going to run the LA Marathon. So, I'm excited, you guys. You know, the whole reason I started this podcast was like Nick was talking about with the Latino media all-star runners was um, just to motivate and inspire others to take better care of ourselves. You guys know me. I take care of myself. Yes, I have issues, but I also hope that by posting about it and talking about it and being so open about it, that I can inspire others to take care of themselves. You don't have to work out twice a day like me, but, you know, maybe once a day, you know, just a little bit here and there to take better care of yourselves. You know, science and technology are improving every day. So our lifespan is going to just keep getting longer. And the better you take care of yourself, the better chance you have of experiencing you know, all the cool things that we're going to be able to experience with the advancements of science. I want to be 112. Remember the group 112? Oh, I need to know where we stand. Remember that song? That was 112. Anyway, um, I want to be that old. And I think I can because science is evolving. So start now, you guys, we can do it. I'm so excited. I, again, I want to, th- I can't thank him enough. Uh, Nick Valencia for uh, coming on my little podcast. I hope you guys got something out of it. I hope you guys join us. And uh, like I said, check the dates. Um, you guys have been awesome. If you're listening to this on Apple podcasts, it would mean the world to me. If you left a review rated it, um, it helps me in the algorithm. And also um, subscribe if you want. Uh, Anyway, you guys have been awesome. Thank you so much. This has been The Camera Adds 10 Pounds.